those of you who are new here, I'm Chris Dirks, one of the associate pastors. And today we're going to tackle the massively important topic of integrity, all right? And I'm going to step on a number of toes along the way. So, and you can see I'm enjoying this, but uh, I've stepped on my own already during the week and, uh, and it should be fun. But as, you know, as I was meditating on this uh, truth, on the character trait of integrity and on what the scripture has to say about integrity, uh, one of, the word that kept coming back to me over and over and over again was beautiful. And the character trait of integrity is really beautiful. It is so attractive when we see it in others. People of integrity are valuable. They're like gold. You want to have them as your friends because you know they're going to be the same behind your back as they are to your face. If you're, uh, if you're a business owner or something like that, you want to have them as your employees because you can trust them. And if, I mean, if you're an employee, you want your boss. I mean, we're attracted to people who have integrity. They're trustworthy people. They're wonderful people. It's a beautiful character trait. And in fact, God himself is attracted to people with integrity. And then 1 Chronicles 29, 17 says this. I know my, and this is uh, David speaking. I know my God that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. So God is testing our hearts continually. Every person and human being on earth, he's testing our hearts continually and he's really happy. He's pleased. He's attracted whenever he finds in a heart integrity. Another passage, David asked this question, who can get close to God? Who can come into his presence? Who can be with him? Who can be intimate with him? And the answer is those who have integrity. Psalm 15, 1 to 2. And we're going to look at this passage again at the end of the message. But it says this. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. That's integrity. And you know, the more I was thinking about this message and praying about this message and getting ready for this message this week, uh, something else came to me that I never thought about before. And certainly integrity is, is attractive to us. When we see integrity in other people, we're attracted to it. God is attracted to it in us. But something else came to me and I realized that integrity is not just attractive to us when we see it in others. Integrity is, is attractive to our own selves when we see it in ourselves. A person with integrity can go to bed at night with a clean conscience and have their self-respect intact. A person who has compromised their integrity can have nothing but self-loathing for themselves. That's true, isn't it? I mean, a person who's compromised their integrity, it doesn't matter how successful they might look on the outside, how wealthy and how whatever, when they go to bed at night, they can hardly sleep with their own selves because they've compromised everything they think is valuable. And this is why Solomon said in Proverbs 28 verse 6, better, I capitalize better there, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. In other words, it's better to have nothing but to have kept your integrity than to have everything and to have compromised your integrity because there's nothing more valuable than a clean conscience and your self-respect. And so we're going to talk about this beautiful trait of integrity today. And some of you may be wondering, what is integrity? Well, the word integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which is also a mathematical word, and it means whole and complete, okay? Whole and complete. When you apply the word integrity to an object, it means that that object is solid all the way through. It's in good working order, okay? So if a building has its structural integrity intact, that means the building doesn't just look good on the outside. It's actually, it's got a solid foundation. The beams are solid. Everything's solid on the inside. That building is solid, okay? Now, of course, when we apply integrity to human beings, we're not talking about physical characteristics, like solid all the way through, right? And, uh, and so when we're talking about integrity with regards to character and human beings, there's two traits 
that integrity encompasses, the equivalent of solid all the way through. And that's what I want to spend the rest of this morning looking at. But first, before I get carried away, bow your heads with me, close your eyes. We're going to have fun. We're going to get convicted today, but the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us too. So let's ask him to, to work in our hearts. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I want to first of all give you all the glory that you do not just have integrity, you are integrity. Your word says that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord Jesus, in this message today, this is not me making up some cool stuff. This is us talking about you. You are the source of integrity, and you are the one who gets all the glory. We want to fall in love with you, and as a result of falling in love with you, Lord, we want to live lives of radical integrity. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. Protect this place here today. Keep us free of distractions. Help us to quiet our hearts. And Lord Jesus, when we're convicted of things that we've done wrong, Lord, give us the grace and the humility to change those things. In your name I pray. Amen. So what is integrity with regards to human beings? Two things. First thing we'll look at here for a while is consistency. A person who has integrity is a person who is consistent through their entire being. Specifically, a person with integrity is someone who is consistent between their beliefs and their actions and their words. If you're a person of integrity, that means that what you believe and what you value must match up with what you say, must match up with what you do. And like I said before, this is why integrity, we're attracted to people with integrity. Because their actions and beliefs match up, you can trust them. Even when they're, like what they are to your face is what they are behind your back. You can trust them because they're consistent. Now, of course, when I give a dry, stale definition like that about integrity, everybody here sits there and goes, well, that's me. I'm a person of integrity. And the truth of the matter is, none of us gets up in the morning and says to themselves, you know, I am a sellout. I'm a total sellout. Today I'm going to compromise everything that I hold important and dear for whatever it is. None of us gets up and says that, so we all think that we have integrity. Okay, and over the course of this message, I'm going to poke holes in that, all right? Not just in you, but in myself. But let me share with you a bunch of illustrations today to help you see what integrity looks like. Consistency between beliefs and actions. And the first one I want to share with you is uh, one that I found, great story I found this week as I was getting ready for this. And I just want to read the first bit of it because I want to make sure I get the headline right. But uh, I want to show you what consistency looks like between your beliefs and actions. February 20th, 1996, the Daily Herald, that's a big newspaper in, in the city of Chicago, ran a story entitled, Fairy Tale Princess Story Turns Sour After Newlyweds Lose Money. Okay? Fairy Tale Princess Story Turns Sour After Newlyweds Lose Money. And what had happened was this. A newly married couple was in a real big rush to get away from the reception and get on their honeymoon. I can't imagine why. But anyway, I digress. Uh, they, got, they were in a hurry to get away from their wedding reception and get on their honeymoon. And in their rush, they left a black uh, zippered suitcase on the roof of their car. And by the time they got to their, to their honeymoon destination, uh, it was gone. Now, the bummer about that thing being gone was it had been filled with their wedding gift cash, okay? The the cash they'd gotten for wedding gifts. $12,000 in U.S. cash had been in that bag, okay? So that's a lot of money. That's that's not a good way to start uh, your honeymoon, okay? And so that was the headline. Anyway, two days later, the Daily Herald ran another headline, and this is what it said. Finders keepers, not everyone believes it. And what had happened was this, a man by the name of David Yee, who was an unemployed suburban resident there in Chicago, actually found this black zippered suitcase with $12,000 of U.S. cash. Now, I wonder what you and I would do if we found 
that bag of cash, okay? I know what some of you would do. You would say, yes, Lord, you've answered my prayers. (laughs) I've been praying for this money, and here it is. Well, David Yee didn't do that. He's unemployed. He's in desperate need of money. Still, he didn't do it. He actually tracked the couple down. Took him a couple days. Obviously, there was a name on the bag or something. He tracked them down, and he returned all of the money. Now, integrity is such a wonderful, attractive trait, and it's so rare in our culture today that the newspaper tracked him down because they were like, this is amazing. Someone who wouldn't just keep the money for themselves. And so they tracked him down, and they asked him why he had done it. And this is what he said. He said, I guess it doesn't matter whether it's $50 or $1,000 or a million dollars. If it doesn't belong to you, it's not yours. That's pretty simple, hey? Now, that's consistency. And actually, the newspaper did some more look, uh, looking into his character. It turns out he was very consistent in this. The year before, he had found $50 lying around and had returned that to its owner, to, to uh, whoever had had it. And, uh, and so when this story hit the, hit the, uh, the headlines, uh, David Yee became a bit of a mini-celebrity in Chicago for a while. And people were offering him jobs left, right, and center because, again, integrity is such a wonderful trait and it's so rare. So people were offering him jobs. Well, he turned around and turned down every single job that was offered to him that he wasn't qualified for because he thought taking a job he wasn't qualified for was dishonest. I mean, this guy was consistent right through and through. So you say, well, how is he consistent? Well, let's look at this again. What was his belief? His belief was, if it's not yours, it doesn't belong to you. His actions were, you find something, doesn't matter how much money it is, you return it. Beliefs, actions match up. Doesn't matter whether it's $50 or $12,000, that's consistency. And what's so amazing here is that lots of Christians, lots of people can do the right thing when the right thing involves $5 or $10. At $20, a bunch of you already start falling off the, the integrity wagon, Okay. At $50, the integrity wagon is getting pretty sparse. At $12,000, people look at you like a fool if you even talk about integrity, okay? But David Yee didn't have a price tag on where his beliefs and, and actions started to not match up. They always matched up. That's consistency. That's integrity. Now, I want to talk about the number one enemy of consistency and integrity because when the temptation goes up, like I said, it's easy to do the right thing with $5 or $10, very much harder to be consistent when the value goes up or when the temptation goes up. Now, when the temptation to compromise your integrity goes up, something else goes up, and that thing is the number one enemy of integrity, and that thing is this, rationalization. Rationalization is the number one enemy of your integrity that causes people to compromise their integrity. Let me tell you what rationalization is. Rationalization is this. I just want to read it. You have a right choice and a wrong choice to make. And you really want to do the wrong thing. But, of course, you can't let yourself do the wrong thing. Okay? So you first have to come up with reasons why doing the wrong thing is actually okay in this circumstance. Isn't that what rationalization is? You've got a right thing and a wrong thing. They're really simple. They're actually simple. Integrity is always simple. Rationalization always complicates things. You have a right thing. You have a wrong thing. But you really want to do the wrong thing. So now what you do is you come up with reasons why doing the wrong thing is actually okay. Complicating things. Now, for example, uh, you want to steal satellite, let's say. Okay? And like I said, I'm going to step on some toes today. So, you know, you write the notes down and go and confess after, all right? But anyway, you want to steal satellite. Of course, you're a Christian, so you know stealing is wrong. That's simple. But you really want to steal the satellite. So the human brain is amazingly fertile and creative when it comes to rationalizations. And so you think to yourself, well, it's not really stealing if it's airwaves, is it? I mean, it's airwaves. 
How can you steal airwaves? I put the dish up, they happen to hit my dish. That's, how is that stealing, right? And then you think to yourself, I mean, nobody's getting hurt. They would be beaming this channel out, whether I watched it or not. They don't even notice. So I'm really not, and I'm watching the commercials. I'm actually helping their ad revenues. I'm helping them, okay? For Pete's sake, it's not stealing. That's how rationalization works, okay? Rationalization always complicates. Integrity says stealing is always wrong. You know, David Yee said, you know, if it doesn't belong to you, it's not yours. So I always act consistently with that. Uh, uh, rationalization comes along and clouds the matter and tries to drag what is black and white into a gray area, and then you can do it, okay? Now, like I said, the, the human brain is amazing. We are all, it's not just you guys, me, myself, and I as well, Okay? We are all experts in rationalization, okay? And if I wanted to preach a series on rationalizations, we could go on and on and on and on because there's probably almost an infinite number of rationalizations that the human mind can come up with, okay? But I want to just show you four common ones. I want to deal hard here this morning with four common rationalizations, okay, that we use in order to compromise our integrity, all right? Four of the most common. Here's the first one, the everybody is doing it rationalization, okay? The everybody is doing it rationalization. And many of you were adults, you look at this one, you go, oh, that's, that's for teenagers. You know, we adults, we don't fall for that one anymore. That's actually not true. We adults fall for this one every bit as much as teenagers, if not more, okay? We just do it in a different way. We don't do it with our clothes and stuff like that. But what we, we call this is we have uh, uh, phrases like standard practice. Is that thing to do, right or wrong to do? Well, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's standard practice in the industry, is it not? And we have things that are socially acceptable. And once something becomes socially acceptable or standard practice, we Christians turn off our consciences and cease to think about, is it right or wrong anymore? And I'm here to tell you today and myself that integrity, we are called to a higher standard and socially acceptable does not mean right in God's eyes. That's a rationalization. And I mean, an example... Uh, we could look at it as a financial meltdown we've had around the world there. It started there, whatever it was, a year ago, or was it two years ago now already, whatever, whatever it was. But uh, what happened with that financial meltdown, just to kind of really boil it down simple, is that the banks wanted more people to borrow money. And they wanted people who can't afford it to borrow money. So there's already an integrity issue right there, okay? But it's all in the name of profits and everybody's doing it. So we want lots of people. So we're going to give out bad mortgages. We're going to give out mortgages to people who can't pay for them. Then we're going to bundle up those mortgages. And we're going to sell them to other banks and to each other and bet on them. And, uh, and nobody, a couple years ago, nobody pointed fingers at this. Nobody said this is immoral. They all said this is what we have to do to survive. Everybody's doing it. Every bank is doing it. And by the way, I'm not just coming against bankers here. This is how the human brain operates. We all do this in our own area. And everybody's doing it. It's standard practice. We have to do it to survive. We won't be able to compete if we don't do it. So everybody does it. And of course, then we have the financial meltdown. And now all of a sudden, everybody's pointing fingers. How could you be so stupid? How could you be so immoral after the fact, right? Well, the truth of the matter is, that's how we humans are. When everybody's doing something, it's certainly easy to get caught up in it. It's certainly easy to get caught up in it. Well, everybody's doing it. It's standard practice. It's socially acceptable. doesn't make it right. Second rationalization is the no one will get hurt rationalization, okay? This is a very common rationalization for Christians to use in order to allow themselves to cheat and steal. It's okay if I steal this thing. It's okay if I don't pay for this thing because nobody's getting hurt, so what I'd like to do is read you a fairly clear passage of Scripture, okay? 
It's the eighth commandment, Exodus 20, 15. It's repeated a half dozen times at least in the scriptures. Here's what it says. You shall not steal. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about this verse is there are no footnotes. There are no caveats that say, you shall not steal unless nobody is getting hurt. You shall not steal is very clear and straightforward. It's you shall not steal. Now, some of you are sitting there today and you're going, Chris, you're so Old Testament. I mean, this whole series, you're constantly coming after us on the Old Testament and the commandments and righteous living and yada, yada, yada. Well, that's another message where I rebuke you about the importance of the Old Testament. But let me show you a New Testament passage, okay? Let's see what Jesus says about stealing. Matthew 19, 16 to 19. And behold, a man came up to him, that's Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Good question. How do we get eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, pray and ask me into your heart. That's what he should say, right? If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Wait a minute, Jesus, give us your evangelical doctrine membership card and we're going to take it away from you because you shouldn't have said that. Keep the commandments. And now look at the commandments he names. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Now look at integrity. Is right in Numbers 3 and 4. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Jesus is talking about eternal life here. Wait a minute. You can't earn salvation with works. Yes, indeed. If you read the rest of this, this passage, uh, Jesus says to the man, you've got to drop everything you have and follow me. But here's the thing. Yes, you cannot earn salvation with works. But salvation that doesn't produce works isn't salvation. Jesus says, you want to enter into eternal life? This is what it looks like. You shall not steal, and you shall not bear false, uh, bear false witness. You know, my wife and I, Ladon, we have a rule that we try to live by, and that is this. If it niggles the con- that, that's, that's a word, I think, okay? If it niggles the conscience even a little bit, then just don't do it. If, I mean, if it niggles the conscience even an eensy, tiny, you know, twinsy little bit, don't do it. See, here's the problem with us in, in this, all this rationalization. Everybody's doing it. No one's going to get hurt. We're constantly asking the question, how close can I get to the line, right? I mean, how much can I do and it's not cheating on my taxes? How much of this can I do and it's not lying yet? We're asking the question, how close can I get and it's not sin yet? Here's what I want to tell you today. When it comes to integrity, the moment you ask the question, how far can I go? You've already crossed the line. You've already compromised. We just sang a song, holy, 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 holy are you, Lord God Almighty. He is awesomely holy, awesomely pure and righteous and holy. That means we should never, ever, ever ask the question, how close can I get? Holy means I'm going to go as far as I can possibly get. I'm not going to go to maybe this is right or wrong. I'm not going to rationalize. If it's possibly, potentially, nigglingly, small little ways wrong, I'm not going anywhere near it. That's integrity and consistency. And my wife is one of those people I'm so proud of in this area. I remember uh, a number of years ago, uh, a couple of years after we had gotten married, and she started to be convicted in her heart about a pair of socks she had stolen from the bay in Winnipeg when she was like seven or eight years old, like more than 20 years previous. And, uh, and, and she's like, my conscience keeps bugging me. My conscience keeps bugging me. What should I do? And finally I said, like, well, maybe just go confess it. Maybe that'll get it off your, off your chest and, and you'll feel better. I mean, this is integrity at work, right? So she drags me to the bay and uh, goes up to the customer service department and says, look, I stole socks from you like 21 years ago and I was just a kid and I want to pay for those socks now. And the lady said, well, 
I mean, first of all, she's like, wow, don't, don't see much of that. I mean, she's like, well, we can't take your money. And the one's like, let me give you your money. You got to get it off my chest. No, she didn't do that part. Okay, that part is not true at all. But anyway, <laughs> um, and so the moral of the story is if you confess late enough, you won't have to pay it back. No, that's not the story. That's not the moral of the story either. <laughs> moral of the story is if it niggles, you take care of it. That's integrity. I remember another time. Uh, I remember another time we're driving in a van and... Uh, and LaDawn had had this thing. There was this one product that uh, she really wanted for our family, and the church needed some of it too. So she was going to order it from this company. And, if you, and, and if with this company, you could get a huge discount on the stuff you were buying from this company if you would have a party with your friends and sell it also to a bunch of your friends. And so she wanted to get the discount. So the next time she had a bunch of her friends together, uh, she told each one of them about the, about the uh, product. None of them wanted to buy it. Well, she still wanted it. And, uh, and so she made the order for herself. It was a big order for our, for our family and for the church, which also needed some. And she made this order, and she still claimed the discount. And, and her reasoning was this. She said, I mean, I mean, I told them all about it. So, I mean, I did tell them all. I got the advertising out for the company. And technically, more than one person is ordering this product because I also ordered some for the church. And nobody's getting hurt. I mean, I'm helping the company. I'm getting the name out there. None of these people I've ever heard of before. So I deserve the, the, the discount, right? So anyway, I mean, on paper, many of you would say, hey, what's wrong with that? Well, anyway, she was tormented in her conscience about this. And the one day, we're driving in the van, and she says, I did everything right. I told them all about it. I'm technically, I made that extra order. It's not just me. My order was big enough that it's as if a bunch of people had ordered it. So why does my conscience keep bugging me? Guys, you can learn from my response. I just kept driving. <laughs> you got to be very careful in these situations. Very careful. Anyway, long and short of it is at the end of the conversation, she says, well, I'm going to pray about it. But she says, whatever the discount was, in, in the end, she said to me, she said, whatever the discount was, it's not worth this hounding on my conscience. See, this is what happens with integrity. You don't want to get close to that line, whether it's technically okay or not. Don't hide behind technically okay. And the next day, I was so proud of her. She told me after her prayer time, uh, she said, I, I just can't do it. And so she actually phoned the woman back who, who ran this company. She said, this is what I did. I don't need the discount. And she phoned it in and took the integrity. You know what? It doesn't matter. Pay the extra money. Lose some money, whatever it is. Integrity really matters, okay? And these are the people who can go into the presence of God. Third rationalization we often use is the God sent me this opportunity rationalization, otherwise known as the this must be from God rationalization. And this is the rationalization, like I said before, with the David G. This is the one where you're praying for something. You have a promise from God for something. And then an opportunity presents itself. You find this bag of cash. This is the answer to prayer. And you say, this must be from God. And you compromise your integrity because you take it as an answer to prayer. Now, let me show you an example of someone who stood up against this kind of temptation and rationalization. And King David, one of the most famous men in the Bible, man after God's own heart. And uh, we all know about David. He's a shepherd boy. God sends a prophet Samuel to David. He says, I want you to anoint him king. So now David knows from a young age, he knows it's from God. He knows that he's supposed to be the rightful king. It's a promise. This isn't something he's made up. It's not bad. It's a good promise. And now in the meantime, Saul gets very jealous of him. That's the current king. And Saul is trying to kill David. For about 20 years, Saul is chasing David all over the country trying to kill him. Now, during one of these years when Saul is chasing David trying to kill him, 
he chases them into a wilderness area known as En Gedi, okay? Now, I was in Israel with some friends 12 years ago, and we went down into this wilderness of En Gedi, which is right by the Dead Sea, and it's total wilderness. There's, there's like no plants that grow there. And all it is, is it's lots of brown sandstone rocks and cliffs. And these sandstone rocks and cliffs are absolutely filled with hundreds of caves, tons and tons and tons, pockmarked with caves everywhere, okay? So David and his men are hiding in one of these many caves. Now, here's what happens. Saul has to go to the bathroom, really bad. And he goes to the bathroom. Out of all the caves in En Gedi, he just happens to go to the bathroom in the cave where David and his men are hiding in the back. So here we have David and his men have actually caught Saul with his pants down, okay? <laughs> I've been waiting all week to tell you that. But anyway. And, uh, and so the temptation. Now look at the temptation here. The temptation is, this must be from God. You have a promise from God that you're going to be king. And here God serves you up Saul on a silver platter. He doesn't even have his guards around him. You can kill him and become king right now. It's so easy. This has to be from God, right? What are the chances Saul would be in this cave? It has to be from God. has to be the answer to prayer. Well, let's read the story in the scriptures here. And he, Saul, we'll just go from a little bit back and we'll catch up. And he, Saul, came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you. Now they're quoting God's actual promise. There's quotations here. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Now, I want you to see David's response. I mean, the temptation here is at an extremely high level. It looks like it's from God. Compromise your integrity. Look what David says. He said to his men, the Lord forbid this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. I want you to notice this integrity in David's life, this consistency. This decision is simple for David. It's simple. He has a belief, and this is his belief, that you should never touch the Lord's anointed. If God wants to judge the Lord's anointed, if God wants to judge his anointed one, he can do it, but no human being should ever touch the Lord's anointed. It doesn't matter if he's served up on a silver platter to me, and if God's given me promises, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And he doesn't allow rationalization to come in here. God must have sent this. This is an amazing opportunity. Any of those things, he doesn't allow it to creep in. And his men are going, we have to do it. Look at this opportunity. We can't miss it. This is it. And David says, no, it's very simple. And you know, David was absolutely consistent with this. This is, by the way, an obscenely high level of integrity. It's this kind of character that made David a man after God's own heart and that made him worthy of being the greatest king in Israelite history. And God said, I can trust a guy like this with the throne, a guy with integrity like this. David was consistent with this many years later again when Saul was killed by the Philistines. When Saul was killed by the Philistines, there was another man who saw Saul die in the battle. And this man thought, David is going to be so happy that Saul is dead. Because he doesn't realize that David has integrity. He doesn't realize that David believes the core of his being. No man should touch the Lord's anointed. And this man runs to David thinking he's going to get a reward. He tells, he lies to David and says, I killed Saul. And, and David says, off with his head. David had a belief and his actions always matched up with that belief. His actions were, his belief was don't touch the Lord's anointed and his actions always matched up with it. That's integrity. That's consistency between values, beliefs, and actions. Fourth one I want to look at here is the I'll use it for good rationalization. This is a very common one. This is the one where I'm going to compromise my integrity and with the extra money I have or the extra time I have, I'm going to use that for God's kingdom, right? 
So it's okay for me to exaggerate on this job application form about my experience because after I get the job, I'll more than make up for it. I know I can do it. I'll more than make up for it, plus I will tithe and I will, I will be a light in that workplace. I'm going to compromise my integrity and use it for good. I'll never forget the time I was, would have been six or seven or eight years old. I was very young. And my dad had started a church in Woodstock, Ontario at that time, Faithway Church. And uh, I'll never forget being in the backyard one day and hearing, overhearing, I mean, as kids do, right? We e- e- eavesdrop, uh, eaves, eavesdrop on your parents' conversations. And I was eavesdropping on a conversation between a man from our church and my dad. And this man was looking to get advice from my dad. He was unemployed. At the time, he had five or six kids. I can't remember when you have that many. It's hard, hard to keep track. And uh, anyway, he was unemployed. He had five or six kids. And he was desperate for some income. And he had been offered a job by a tobacco company in the area. And so he was trying to get my dad to help his conscience by telling him this is an okay thing to do. And so he had, all the, he had the rationalizations of, I've got to take care of my family, certainly. Okay? And then the other rationalization he kept making, and I'll never forget, I was a little kid, and I thought, it made sense to me. And he was saying to my dad, he's like, plus, I think God's sending me to be a missionary, a light into this dark company. He's sending me in there to witness to them. I mean, if I don't go, who will? If I don't go into this place and, and witness for Jesus, who's going to do it? And at the time, I, as a little kid, I thought, wow, what, what, what wonderful motives. This is amazing. And I'll never forget being even a little bit annoyed at my dad because my dad wouldn't budge. My dad wouldn't give in to this guy and, and just let him get off the hook. And basically, I forget the exact words that my dad said to him, but in the end, what my dad said was, if you have to compromise something to this extent, if you have, have to compromise your integrity in order to do something good, nothing good will come of it. If you have to compromise your integrity in order to do something good, nothing good will come of it. Let me ask you this. Is God so weak that we need to lie, cheat, and steal in order to advance his kingdom? Is God so weak that we need to lie, cheat, and steal in order to help him and advance his causes? Is he so poor that we need to compromise our integrity in order to take care of our families and put bread on the table? Look what it says in Job 13, 7 and 9. Job says this to his friends. Are you defending God with lies? You're going to defend God with lies? Do you make your dishonest arguments for his sake? You want to use compromised integrity to advance his cause? What will happen when he finds out what you are doing? Can you fool him as easily as you fool people? It is a serious defamation of the character of God when his kids compromise their integrity in in pretending to advance his cause. That's a defamation of his character. It's a defamation to his character when we compromise our integrity, when we cheat, lie, and steal in order to uh, put bread on the table. It says, God, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not big enough to take care of us. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Has not God promised to take care of us? This is essentially a trust issue. See, uh, a lot of times we're compromising our integrity because we're anxious. We're anxious about the bills. We're anxious we need more money. We're anxious for this. We're anxious for that. And because we don't trust God to take care of us, we compromise our integrity. Look at this uh, promise in Matthew 6. Has not God promised to take care of us? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. Seek first to do right. Then, and all these things will be added to you. But all these things will be added to you. The getting taken care of by God only happens when you put doing the right thing first. 
If you don't do the right thing first, the rest of the promise doesn't hold for you. Once you compromise your integrity, you are now on your own for paying your bills. But if you keep your integrity, God's on the hook. Because he promised in his word and he'll never break his word. Now, I know some of you may be scratching your heads there and you're thinking to yourself, I don't get this story about the tobacco company and the guy working. Uh, I don't get how that was compromising his integrity. Because it's not like he had to lie to get the job. See, a lot of us are still stuck on this thing that we think integrity is just not lying. But remember, this whole point that I'm making here is that integrity is consistency between your beliefs and actions. It's not just not lying. And here's what I know about that man. He was a good friend of our family and, and, and had been in our church for a number of years. Uh, first of all, he was a Christian man. He knew that God had told him to love his fellow man. And he also knew that cigarettes were highly addictive and that once people start, many of them can never stop and that they eventually kill people in horrible ways. So believing all of those things, how can he be consistent with his Christian values to then go to work at a place like that and help more people get hooked on smoking so that they can die horrible deaths? Integrity is consistency between beliefs and actions, okay? Beliefs and actions. Now, it's this consistency thing that makes integrity. I was talking before about integrity being this attractive, beautiful trait. It's this consistency that makes integrity so beautiful, because consistent people are predictable. I don't mean predictable in the bad way of they're not romantic or they'll never surprise you or they're not humorous. No, no, not at all. What I mean is predictable. If you're the boss of a person who is consistent, they're the same when you're in the room as when you're not in the room. They're the same, like I said before, in front of your face as behind your face because they are consistent. Consistency is beautiful because it enables us to trust someone. It enables us to trust someone. Now, I said before that integrity encompasses two things, though, and it's not just consistency, okay? For a person could be consistent and not have integrity. For example, a person could be consistently greedy. You could count on them to always do the greedy, self-interested thing, and that's not integrity, okay? A person can be a consistent liar. I've known people who are consistent liars, self-promoters. They always lie. You could count on them to lie. That's not integrity either. Integrity is two things. It's consistency married to selfless honesty. Selfless honesty. And you need both of these for integrity. If you don't have consistency, you don't have integrity. If you don't have selfless honesty, you don't have integrity. You need to have both. Selfless honesty. Let me make some, some tough statements here in the next couple of minutes. A person who is self-interested, who, who is only interested in themselves, uh, cannot be a person of integrity. Okay? A person who only looks out for their own self-interest. Now, we have to look out for our own self-interest. I mean, when you go to work, you need to get paid. I mean, that, I mean you need to have motivation when you, if you have a business to be productive and to make some profit. It's not bad to have self-interest. But if you're only interested in yourself and you're not interested in the interests of others, then you don't have integrity. Okay? And the reason for that is this. If I'm in a relationship with you, whether that be a business relationship or a work relationship or a family relationship, if I know that you only care about your own self-interest and you don't care about mine, I can't trust you. And if I can't trust you, you don't have integrity because integrity is built on trust. So for example, if you are an employee and, and, and you work at a company, most of us work somewhere, right? If you are an employee and you only care about getting a paycheck, now you should care about getting a paycheck. You need to get paid. But if you only care about getting a paycheck and you don't care about actually improving the productivity and the work environment and making your boss and your company a success, if you don't care about making your company a success, you only care about yourself, then you don't have integrity because your company can't really trust you, can they? 
You don't have integrity unless you care about more than yourself. And if we flip it around, if you're the boss and you only care about profits. Now, should you care about profits? Yes, you have to make profits. Essential to keep a business alive. It's important. Profits are good. But if you only care about profits and you don't care about actually improving the lives of those people that you're dealing with, those people who are employed by you, actually helping your customers, actually making their lives better, if you only care about yourselves, then you do not have integrity. Now, some of you are going, that's a harsh statement. How can you say that? Is that in the Bible? Well, as a matter of fact, it is. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, 3 to 4. Look at what it says here. Do nothing. Nothing. Now, there's a lot of people that say, do nothing at church, right? The Bible applies to my spiritual life, not to my business life, not to my work life, not to my whatever life. Paul says, forget that. God wants to be God of everything. He's the God of the universe. And if he's only good enough to be God of your weekends and God of your church life, then he's no God at all. He wants to be God of everything in your life. And he says, do nothing. Nothing at work, nothing in your family, nothing in your business from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is a command. You and I are in sin if in any interaction with other human beings, we look out only for ourselves and not for them. If I'm a salesperson and I sell you something, and while I'm selling you something, I'm actually not trying to help you. I'm just trying to make a profit. I am in sin. As a Christian, I'm obligated to actually look out for your best interests as well. Obligated to look out for the interests of others. Now, I think some people are here are no doubt thinking to themselves, this is naive. I mean, here we have this tall, skinny guy in a purple shirt, never owned a business, <laughs> telling us this, and this is not how the real world works. This is not how the real world works. I mean, capitalism runs on pure self-interest. Well, let me say something about that because that statement annoys me and I hear it sometimes. Capitalism runs on pure self-interest. How are things working right now? Look at the financial markets. Look at Enron and Tyco. Is this working? Is pure self-interest working? Not a chance. Capitalism doesn't run on pure self-interest. It accommodates it to a certain point and then it breaks down. I tell you, everything works better on unselfishness. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, we've got to have some self-interest because we've got to be motivated to go to work. Totally, totally, totally. But pure self-interest, apart from unselfishness, doesn't work anywhere. I don't care what the system is. It doesn't work. And it's not naive. What this comes down to is, do you depend on God or not? Do you actually believe in a God who is big enough to take care of you in your work life, in your business life? Or, like I said before, is he just big enough to go to church on Sunday or Saturday night? Do you depend on God or do you rely on yourself? That's a big question that comes down to integrity. If you compromise integrity, what you're saying to God is, I don't believe you're big enough. I have to do it for myself. And let me show you what God thinks about that, by the way. Isaiah 50, 10 to, 50 verse 10 to 11. This is about self-reliance. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? We would all raise our hands or we want to be that person. We are the ones who fear the Lord and obey Jesus, okay? Well, here's how you behave if you're that person. If you're walking in darkness, so... Money is tight, finances are tight, things are going difficult. Without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Now watch out. But watch out, you who live in your own light, you who take care of yourselves. You're going to compromise your integrity. You're not going to trust in God. You're going to take matters into your own hand. You who live in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fires. This is the reward you will receive from me. You will soon fall down in great torment. 
God wants people who will rely on him and trust him. Not people who take matters into their own hands and lie, cheat, and steal in order to get what they want and need. All right, so there's selflessness, but it's not just selflessness, right? It's consistency married to selfless honesty. We've just been talking about the selflessness part. The honesty part is very important to integrity as well. Selfless honesty. We want to look out for the interests of others, which already takes care of a lot of honesty. A lot of dishonesty happens because I'm looking out for my best interests. And what I want to do in this honesty thing is now I want to read you a vastly important piece of scripture, okay? This piece of scripture should be tattooed onto every Christian's brain and character, okay? We should take this with us to work. We should take this with us into every interaction with every other human being. The sad thing is many Christians uh, don't think about this verse at all, and many Christians do not live this verse, and that's why many people don't even want to be Christians in our, in our, uh, in our culture. And here's the verse, Leviticus 19.11 says this, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. That's what it means to be honest. This, is, this, this should be the hallmark of every Christian in our lives. You know, some Christians are really good at spiritual displays. They raise their hands, they sing at church, they get involved in cell, but then they go to work and these three things are broken constantly by people who have the word Christian attached to their, to their life. He says this, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. That's three things. This is just the basic foundation of the Christian life. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. Now, I want to just break down each of those three things. First of all, you shall not steal because so much rationalization has broken some of these things down and made them more complicated than they need to be. You shall not steal. This means you shall not ever take anything from someone else which you do not pay for. Accepting a gift, obviously, okay? But you shall not ever take anything from someone else which you did not pay for. That's stealing. Now, let me, let me just confront a couple of specific examples. I've talked to many business people in this church over the years. And one of the things that I was shocked to find at first, but now I'm not surprised by it anymore... But I was shocked by it at first. But pretty much every business person I've ever talked to has run into this a number of times. And this is what they've run into in this area. But it's not just this area. It's all across Canada. This area isn't worse than other areas. I think in many ways the Steinbeck area is better than most of North America morally and character-wise. But in this area, if you're a business person here, you'll probably be able to, to, to empathize with this right away is that most of the business leaders I've, I've talked to have multiple times run into stuff where they do service for someone or someone hires them to do something or contracts them to do something and then they bl- turn around and blatantly refuse to pay. Like I'm talking, thumb your nose and what are you going to do about it? I'm not paying you for this service. When I first heard about that, I, I was shocked. What, people actually do that and they don't walk around with a bag on their head because they're so ashamed of what they've done? And I said, no. And it happens over and over again. People just blatantly refuse to pay for services rendered. Let me tell you what that is. Maybe you're here today and you're one of those people that have done that. Okay? Let me tell you something. First of all, that's stealing and you are a thief. You need to repent like Zacchaeus did and pay back threefold, fourfold, whatever it is. You need to pay it back and say sorry because thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says over and over again throughout his epistles, you need to repent. You, just because you have Christian attached to your name and you go to church, you don't pay your bills like that. You just blatantly thumb your nose and think you're going to get ahead by, by, by taking advantage of people. You are not. You can't inherit the kingdom of God like that. Jesus won't stay in a heart like that. Now, that was fun. If you don't like that, go church shopping and find a church where they won't tell you it's wrong. All right? I love this. But anyway, 
Some of you are feeling pretty good, though, because you're like, I, I'm not one of those people. So uh, this, I'm going to need bodyguards after this one. But anyway, let's talk about some more socially acceptable forms of stealing. What about cheating on your taxes or getting paid under the table so you don't have to pay taxes? Is that stealing? Now, if you don't think that's stealing, leave now if you don't want to hear Bible verses where the Holy Spirit conviction is going to come on you, okay? I've now warned you, okay? Some people are standing by the doors getting ready. Matthew 22, 17 to 21. Look at this. Is cheating on your taxes or getting paid into the table so you don't have to pay your taxes, is that stealing? Well, let's see what Jesus says in Matthew 22. Tell us then, what is your opinion? They're saying to Jesus. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Let me just stop there for a moment. Uh, some people think, well, I don't need to pay my taxes because the government's just going to waste it anyway. Ah, the government. Like this. <laughs> Let me just give you some historical uh, context here. Caesar was a far worse person than anybody we've ever had in government anywhere here in Canada. I mean, this man de- demanded that people worship him. He was a megalomaniac, okay? He killed lots of people, all right? And to this man, they're asking Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to him or not? Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Is it stealing to cheat on your taxes or get paid under the table? Well, if you're not convinced by Jesus, let's look at Paul. Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Every person. For there is no authority. Now, let me just stop here and give you some more context. Paul is writing under the, the particular Caesar was at that time the Emperor Nero. Okay? Paul is, this, this very text we're reading, Emperor Nero is the guy in charge when Paul is writing this. Okay? Emperor Nero was one of the most evil, vile, debauched men who ever lived. In fact, he's a type of the future Antichrist. When the Antichrist comes in the tribulation, he is going to be a lot like Nero. Okay? Nero was debauched and depraved. He was so bad, he would, he would impale Christians on poles, light them on fire, and use that to light his garden outside of his palace. He lit the city of Rome on fire because he wanted to, to rebuild a better palace for himself, killed tons of people, then blamed the Christians for doing it, and killed a bunch of them, okay? This guy was so depraved, at nighttime, him and his friends would take off their kingly robes, and they would dress up like ordinary people. They'd go out into the streets like a gang, and they'd rove around the city of Rome, stealing, murdering, raping, and pillaging in his own city, okay? This guy was awful, and Paul is writing this stuff about taxation and authority right under Nero. Look at this. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of rationalizations out there. Everybody's doing it. It's socially acceptable. But cheating on your taxes and getting paid under the table is just one thing. Let's simplify it here in this message on integrity. It's stealing. And the Bible says you shall not steal. Let's move to the second one. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. What does it mean to deal falsely with someone? Dealing falsely with someone is the same thing as lying, but it's lying with a twist lying with a twist. When you deal falsely with someone, you don't actually technically tell them a lie. In fact, everything you tell them might be technically true, but you leave out important information which could affect their decision. 
That's dealing falsely. Dealing falsely is you don't technically tell them a lie. Everything you tell them is technically true, but you withhold information that they need that would, that would maybe affect their decision. Okay? So for example, let's say you're a young person. You really want to go traveling. You want to travel the world. And in order to travel the world, you need money. In order to get money, you need to work for a couple of months. But you're going to leave in two months. You've got to be going around the world. So first, you've got to get a job for two months, get a bit of money before you leave. Now, you go interview with a bunch of jobs when you sit and, and finally you get one, an interview and you're sitting down with a prospective employer and everything you tell them is totally true. You don't tell them a single lie. But you do leave out the fact that in two months you're planning to quit and go traveling. Now, you don't think of it as lying. At the end of the day, you feel like you told them the truth. But you very intentionally didn't tell them that. Why did you not tell them that? I'll tell you why you didn't tell them that. Because you know inside that many employers won't hire you if you tell them you're going to quit in two months because it's probably not worth their time and effort to train you only for that long. So you leave it out. You compromise your integrity because you're not trusting God. You either don't think God wants you to go traveling or you're not trusting him to help you go traveling. You're going to trust in yourself. You're going to compromise your integrity. You're going to withhold important information that could, if that's called dealing falsely with someone, lie, but it's exactly the same as lying in God's eyes. It's exactly the same as lying in his eyes. You shall not deal falsely with each other. Or, um, car salesman. And a ripple goes through the crowd. I'm just picking on them because it's fun. You know what? There's lots of, we all drive vehicles. We've got to have car salesmen. Lots of them are honest, okay? And I could be talking about oboe salesmen or flute salesmen or whatever, okay? House salesmen, whatever, okay? But let's say, I'm just using an example. Let's say you're a car salesman and you're selling someone a car. You don't have to lie to them to deal falsely with them. I mean, you don't blatantly tell them a lie like it's got 550 horsepower when it's got 55 horsepower, okay? You don't lie to them like that. But what you can do, right, and lots of honest ones don't do this, but let's say you're a dishonest one, you tell them five true things about the car that are totally true to sell them on that car, but you leave out a couple of negative things. And if you were them, you would want to know what those negative things were because it would affect your decision about the car. But you just tell them the positive things. That's dealing falsely. You didn't tell a lie technically, but in God's eyes, it's the same thing. It's dealing falsely. You say, well, how do I know if I'm dealing falsely with someone, Okay. How do, I, how do you know? Well, here's a simple test. How to know if you're dealing in full integrity with someone. Here's the test of whether or not you're dealing falsely with someone. Have you told them everything you would want to know if you were them? That's the test. Very simple. In fact, if, you're, if you got the selfless part that you actually care about the people you're doing transactions with, you'll never break this one. It's, it's, not, it's not hard to live by this one. It's very simple. Have you told them everything you would want to know if you were them? If you have you're in complete integrity with them. You're in complete integrity with them. See, it's so easy. It's, it's easy to tell true things and not tell the truth. The devil does it all the time. There's a huge difference between telling true things and telling the truth. I remember a, a story my grandpa told me years ago about World War II. I actually shared this story about three years ago, um, but I'll share it again. And uh, many of you are so old, you don't, can't remember it anyway, and some of you weren't here yet. So uh, anyway, rationing in World War II uh, rationing in World War II, they had this thing um, where they didn't have enough uh, certain important food items and materials for the war effort. There wasn't enough to go around, and they had to make sure there was enough for the soldiers who were fighting in Europe and, in, and against the Japanese and stuff like that. And so certain important food items and materials got rationed. And what that meant was you could only have a little bit, and all the rest of it got sent to the front. You couldn't, you couldn't have lots of it in your house or whatever. You couldn't have a surplus, okay? And one of the things that got rationed in World War II was sugar, okay? And so my grandpa told me about this guy that, uh, I don't know if he knew him or just heard about him through someone else, but he told me about this man, 
And some officials came to his house and they asked him, they looked him in the eye and he said, how much sugar do you have left in your house? And he told them, all I have left is what's on my, is what's on my kitchen table. And they turned around and they said, okay. They turned around and they walked away. Now, if they would have come into the house and looked at his kitchen table, this is what they would have found. A 100-pound bag of sugar sitting on top of the dinner table. Okay? <laughs> now, had he technically told a lie? No. He told them, all I have is what's on my kitchen table. But had he told them the truth? Not a chance. That's dealing falsely with people. You're telling true things, but you're deceiving them. Last thing is you shall not lie. And this one's obvious. I'm not going to spend any time on it. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. And you shall not lie. Let me finish with one last thought. Some of you may be sitting here today and you're getting pumped. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to go out of here. I'm going to have integrity. And as a result of integrity, I'm going to get this amazing business deal. I'm going to get a raise at work. My life's going to all go good. And let me tell you something. First of all, have you been listening to the rest of the series? Because doing the right thing does not mean everything's going to go good for you right away in this life. Doing the right thing now means you're going to get rich after Jesus comes back, but it doesn't mean you're going to get rich here necessarily. And one of the things that I want to leave you with here today is this. Sometimes integrity hurts. Sometimes integrity really hurts. And let me go back to Psalm 15, verse 1 and 4. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who keep their promises even when it hurts. Who does God love? Those who keep their promises even when it hurts. And let me finish with one last story. A man by the name of John Huntsman. In 1970, he and his brother uh, Blaine started up the Huntsman Chemical Company, 1970. And between 1970 and 2000, they built it up in those 30 years from nothing, and it became the largest uh, uh, a privately owned chemical company in the entire world. By the way, this, all of this is in a book. He wrote a book called Winners Never Cheat. It's in our library. Actually, it might be signed out from, already from the other services, but we've got two copies in our library. It's just a short little book. It's called Winners Never Cheat, okay? Anyway, him and his brother in those 30 years built it up into the world's largest privately owned chemical company. And in fact, in the, in, in the U.S., they were the America's, in 2000, America's largest family-owned business, annual revenues of $12 billion a year, Okay? And in his book, Winners Never Cheat, he shares a story from 1986 about keeping your promise even when it hurts. And, uh, and the story is this. At that time, they needed a bit of cash infusion into the business. And so him and another CEO, Emerson Campen, from another chemical company called the Great Lakes Chemical Company, they made a deal. And Emerson Campen was going to buy 50, uh, a, a set of shares from one division of, of the Huntsman Company. He was going to buy some shares from that one division for $54 million. They shook on the deal. $54 million, Campen buys these shares in this one division of Huntsman's company. Well, Campen goes home to write up the contracts uh, for this deal. And for whatever reason, he's dragging his feet, he's dawdling. It takes him six and a half months to drop the, the contract. And crazy thing happened in those six and a half months in 1986, and that is the price of raw materials dropped, plummeted, went right through the floor. And as a result of the price of raw materials going down through the floor, the, the, product, the, uh, the profitability of the Huntsman Chemical Company went through the roof. And the shares in this division, which six and a half months earlier had been worth $54 million, the bankers now told both sides these shares are now worth $250 million. That's $196 million more in six and a half months. Now remember, they shook hands on it. They hadn't signed any papers. Now what would you do? 
I know what many of us would do. We would hide behind legalese. We never signed anything. I don't have to give it to you for $54 million. There's nothing legally wrong. I'm selling it to you for $250. That's what the bankers say it's worth. Because we never signed a deal. It's your fault for dragging your, your heels on the contract, right? We hide behind rationalizations and legalizations, every excuse we can. Huntsman said, I gave him my word. Campen phones back and says, what are you going to do? This thing is worth way more. I feel bad. How about we split the difference? Huntsman said, keep your money. I shook on $54 million. Campen said, no, 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 no. I don't feel right about this. Huntsman said, I have to be able to live with myself. I have to be able to live with myself. He said, my word is my bond. We shook on $54 million, and that's what I'm selling it to you for. Sometimes, these are the kinds of people that God loves. Those who keep their promises even when it hurts. That's integrity. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are integrity. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we want to be those kinds of people. People who can go to bed at night and we can say, yes, today we lived up to our values. We might have experienced pain. It might have hurt us to live up to our values. But we were consistent between what we believed and what we did. And we were selflessly honest. Jesus, I can only imagine the kind of testimony that would go out into this community if every Christian would begin to live out radical integrity like this. People would be desperate to come to church. People would be falling over themselves to ask you into their hearts because they'd be so pumped about how different we Christians are. Lord Jesus, give us a burning passion to become people of integrity. In your name I pray, amen.